You're listening to The LaunchCast, the podcast about leadership, business, life, and growth with me, your host, George Andriopoulos. It's like food for your ears. Who's our next sponsor? Oh, a personal revolution podcast. Fabrizio, let's do that, that personal development music, that happy stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Guys, the good folks at Personal Revolution Podcast want to know if you've been stuck inside wondering how to take charge of your life. Is there something that you want to do but you haven't been able to do yet? I know that's been the case for me this week trying to get out of my house to record this commercial, but that's not what they're talking about. In Personal Revolution, best-selling author and life coach Allison Task helps you to take control of your life with inspiration and humor so that you move from where you are now to where you want to be and you have fun doing it. It's like having a personal coach whispering in your ear. This three-month podcast course, along with bonus episodes each month, will help you create a clear vision for what you want out of life, remove the frustrating blocks that are holding you back, develop a detailed action plan that will drive you to where you wanna be, and build the network that will help to create your future. The Personal Revolution Podcast comes with a personal workbook and real-time access to a community of other change makers working toward their goals with positivity, possibility, and momentum. And for a limited time, all of this is available to you for free. Download the Himalaya app in your app store, look up Personal Revolution, and enter promo code REVOLUTION at checkout to get your first month absolutely free. If you're ready to go after a better life, you are ready for Personal Revolution. Cut the music, Fabrizio. At this time, I'm going to ask that you fasten your seatbelts. Launch sequence. Launch sequence activated. Launch sequence activated. Five, four, three, two... One. Woo! Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to the LaunchCast. The storm is coming, but I'm prepared. Ooh. Quarantine, and I still love this song. Episode 118. Our Father Who Art on Podcast. I know you like that. It's the Launch Dad himself bringing you your favorite podcast on the planet, talking leadership, business, life, and growth. And we're doing it all today as the beat drops. Love that song. Guys, thank you for joining me today. It's going to be a special episode. You know, I snuck out of the house today. I've been working from home, as we all have, and, you know, we're all quarantined, self-quarantining at home, and we have the beautiful studio here in the Launchpad offices, which have not been used in weeks and weeks, so it's it's safe to come here, but I'd rather spend the days with, with my family working from home. But I do sneak over here for, for our interviews once a week, and... Actually, I'm, I'm in the middle of building a home studio this weekend because I have too much stuff that goes on on video to, to be able to sneak here every single day. And so we may be broadcasting from, from the home studio next week. Let's see. I'm excited for today. We have a very special guest. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you, George. Should I, should I put my mask on? I have a tissue. <laughs> Are we contagious through, 
<laughs> Not through the internet. The microphone? No, no, I've, san guess. I've sanitized okay. the internet today. <laughs> I just want to make sure. I don't know if we're, uh, I just go like this the whole time. Should have make fun of it. We're praying for everybody. We're yeah. praying for our doctors, our nurses, but we have to laugh a little bit. We have to smile in quarantine. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. I agree with you guys. Yeah. Today we have episode 118. We have Father Demetrios Kazakis. Let me give you the brief bio here and then we will jump in. Father Demetrios was born in Syracuse, New York and raised in the parish of St. Sophia Greek Orthodox Church right in Syracuse. He received an associate's degree in communication and broadcasting from SUNY Oswego in 2005. Graduated from Hellenic College, Holy Cross, with a bachelor's degree in religious studies and a master's in divinity in 08 and 11, respectively. He was ordained as a deacon by his eminence, Archbishop Demetrios of America, on July 30th, 2011, and as a priest by his grace, Bishop Andonios of Faziani, on mm -hmm. June 30th, 2012. Both ordinations took place at Gimisi Theodoku in Brooklyn while acting as assistant priest to the very Reverend Father Damaskinos Ganas before being assigned to St. Nicholas in October 2012. Father Demetrios married Diana Dukas on July 12, 2009. They have a son, Andrew Demetrios, a daughter, Eleni Evangelia, and a son, Stephen Demetrios. Father, thank you for being here again today. We're, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you. It's a blessing and an honor to be here. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I want to I want to dive right in and and I know that you told me that you have listened to a couple of episodes of the Launchcast which I'm I'm <laughs> honored that and you I'm have. I'm going to keep on listening too cuz it's, it's it's amazing. It's great entertainment. It's in, it's informative. It's it's awesome. I appreciate it. And, Thank and you. I'm going to come as a guest again too. I just invited myself. You absolutely you will be back 100% <laughs> and I will watch the language today, I promise. No, you're, yeah, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, so you know the first question that we ask here, Father, are you a leader? I think um, I think a real leader might say that they're. I mean that they're not really a leader. We have to see. Um, we, we have to, we have to work on our ability to be with others, to be able to work together, to be able to inspire people, to be able to, um, you know, convey our ideas and what we want out of uh, those who work with us, those who work around us. Um, maybe a real leader, though, works through humility and works with the ability to communicate their desires without uh, being a tyrant. But the most important thing, being able to work with people, understanding what other people need, um, being able to, or rather wanting to work with people is the most important thing. In that, re in that regard, I think I am a leader because I love working with other people and I love uh, the social aspect of that as well. Yeah, I love hearing that. We're going to get into this a, a little more in depth as the interview goes on. But you, you answered my second question of what is your definition of a leader. And I think it's so important, especially in times like this right now, what's happening. You know, people are looking for leadership right now. You know, within my, my own circle, within my family, within my my client base and the people that, that I surround myself with, I, I, I make an effort to be a leader as much as I can during these times. But, you know, sometimes there's another form of, of leadership that people look to. Sometimes people look to leadership in the form of faith, in the form of their religion. And so I want to I'm going to jump into that as we go forward. But I want to take it way back, as we always do. We're going to we're going to dive into leadership in depth. But I want to take it back to Syracuse, New York, where you were sure. born and raised. I, I want to ask you, because I find this so interesting and, I, and I'll get into why in a little bit. What was life? like for you growing up in Syracuse? So we had um, my, uh, 
so it was it was my mother with my sister and in the next in our in our neighborhood we had a lot of family but right next door was my grandmother so right off the bat I was raised by um, two very strong women who were uh, who were very I guess you could say obsessed with family certainly centered around the church because a block from where we grew up was our church Saint Sophia across the street from our church was our priest with his family up the hill were our cousins uh, down the street another block were our other cousins so we had a very tight-knit family group but um, I had the blessing and the opportunity to look at my mother and my grandmother as tremendous uh, role models and tremendous leaders in and of themselves they were uh, very strong people uh, and then looking at my priests as role models because they were in such close proximity and I ended up not really paying attention to a life in the church as a priest, just being a lay person, being involved in ministries and being involved in different things. Um, I had the blessing and the honor to look at amazing people, see how they interacted with everyone else. Uh, faith was certainly the key component and the community and fellowship came closely behind that and watching those things um, manifest themselves while you're growing it just molds you into who you are and what you should become not necessarily what you want to become I think we were gently pushed in a good direction to have church as the focus of our life and to be able to have a, a good fellowship with everyone around us not just our immediate family but extended family and friends as well yeah, it's, an, it's important, especially when growing up. I want to go into that a little bit deeper. I, I, I noticed that you put a, a focus on your, your mother and your grandmother. You know, yeah. I was raised in a home with, with my two parents uh, who did a great job but worked a lot, of course, And but I grew up with my, yeah, she lived with us. And, mm -hmm. and for those that aren't Greek, that's, that's grandmother in Greek. And yeah. she was very special to me in my life. In terms of bringing that aspect into my life, we were we were a busy family, not to make excuses, but, you know, all of us working. You know, I, I started working at a very young age to be able to contribute and, and do what I can for, for my college years. And so there wasn't always the time for the fellowship. There wasn't always the time, you know, when, when working on Sundays to be able to get to church and having a person like my grandmother in the house who brought that, that mentality and who brought that, that, I don't want to just say the culture, but the tradition that surrounds lifestyle. our culture. The lifestyle. The lifestyle. Yeah, a lot of people, and I, I don't know how some other cultures work, but there's there's your your ethnic background, and then there's your your faith. And mm -hmm. a lot of people don't know this, but within the Greek culture, the faith and our ethnic background are intertwined. It has to be combined so tightly. So t it's right. part of our traditions, and so. Mm -hmm. That, you know, having my, my grandmother growing up, you know, being so, so special to me and so close to me, that, that brought me closer to the church because of that. So how, how was that for you with, with your mother and grandmother? It was a huge deal. My mom, my, you know, my mom was a nurse. She worked, um, she worked a lot of hours, but when she was home, she was home. And uh, it, was, it was beautiful. We learned a lot and uh, we were able to... Uh, uh, we were able to live our life the way that we wanted. We were able to be very involved with athletics and with um, uh, different social things at, at school, uh, music programs, shows. My, my sister's an excellent musician. She ended up studying um, vocal performance and uh, education at Fredonia. I ended up going to Oswego, like you mentioned earlier, but 
Um, that was when I was still toying with the idea of going to seminary. But, um, you know, we learned everything. I, I mean, I learned everything from my mom and then from my grandmother because uh, those obviously were the adults in, in our lives that were in close proximity. But um, you, there has to be a balance with everything you do in your life. And I think this is something that you, you have to apply later in life as well. I, I tell people all the time, we can't be completely encompassed into one thing whether it's just your job or career, or it's just your family. It can't just be your church, or it can't just be athletics. You have to have a balance in everything that you do because that, that's just what life is. We're pulled in many different directions. Um, my grandmother, you were mentioned how you started working. I, I mean, my sister and I, from I think age five and six, we were working in my grandmother's grocery store. And the majority of the time we were just playing, we were horsing around. You know, we were we, we were not really helping, but maybe we were at some point. But we learned we learned how to work, and we learned we had a strong work ethic while we were uh, still growing up. And whether it was working in the grocery store, working in the yard, helping out at church, working at home, um, th that's just that's just what it was. That's just the way that life was. And for a lot of people, I mean, me included, with my family, that's the way life still is. We're trying to create that work ethic while being surrounded by good people and strong values. Yeah. And with all those values growing up with your mother, your grandmother, your family, your influences in the church, did you always envision of life of, of going into into priesthood and, and you know, being of service <laughs> no. in the church or, or no where way. did that come from? No way. That was, it was hard. My Like I said, we grew up down the street from the church and it was always from eighth, no, maybe it was later, no, maybe seventh, eighth grade and on, um, because it was me, my cousin, who became a priest just recently. He's in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, my, my, uh, now my kumbadi, my very good friends, we were always in church, and everyone just always said to me, because I was the oldest, oh, you're going to become a priest. You're going to become a priest. And I would blow it off. You know, you never, you know, you never really listen to it, but... Um, my um before you know it like you grow up and it's time it's 18 i'm 18 and i'm now i'm saying i want to go to college and i didn't know what to study i fell in love with oswego i, I fell in love with broadcasting and communication um life changes a little bit obviously you don't really know what you want to do right when you're 17 18 even into 19 and 20 who knows but um uh, i met i had known now my my wife Christina diana um We've known each other since we were nine. Uh, her father was the priest in Buffalo at the time, Father Jim Dukas. He uh, um, he was a he is still a huge uh, influence in my life. Then I had my priest growing up, several priests, um, and just when the time came to say, "What do you want to do for the rest of your life?" I it just kind of hit me. The only thing I'm really good at is church. I was I feel like I was good at a lot of things, but um, again, these are the these are the way. These are the influences that the the adults and the grown-ups have around you, and um, I found I, I found it very comforting to be able to say, okay, I want to become a priest, I want to go to seminary, and it was obviously the best decision I ever made, and I have zero regrets. It's a beautiful, beautiful life. It's not technically our ministry; we're continuing the ministry of, of Christ, but all these small little. Um, influences that happen in your life they can equate to something very large and all these people thank god have been 
tremendous role models, and they are all fantastic leaders since we're talking about leadership. Yeah, you mentioned Oswego before you went to Helena College and you studied communication and broadcasting. Was there a specific goal during that time? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to, um, I mean, I loved weather. Growing up in Syracuse, every other day there, it was a different weather pattern, whether it was like, you know, just blizzard one day to potentially, um, you know, summer conditions. Who knows the way that upstate New York changes yeah. the weather. I love the weather. I love meteorology. I was studying sort of on my own. And then it just didn't mesh. All the all the actual academics behind it didn't mesh. But um, in my exposure to meteorology and broadcasting and communication, I fell in love with um, I fell in love with radio broadcasting. I don't necessarily have a face for TV, as one of the professors told me at school. But um, I fell in love with radio broadcasting. I still try to mess around as a priest. I, I still try to do things with communication. But um, Again, you you have to have the right interests and the right drive to continue these uh, motivations in life. But um, he, I I learned so much while I was at Oswego, and um, um, I only got my associate associate's degree in communications and broadcasting. But it was um, it was still something that I can use uh, later in life and moving through seminary and into active ministry within a parish. And so we we speak about this on this show, spark moments and. I define a spark moment as a moment that is a, a pivotal moment, whether you know it or not, in that specific instance, that you look back and you realize that this was something that led me down a path. And I, I specifically point this out to our audience because, you know, the point of this show is to to help our audience understand the parallels between their lives and the lives of our guests on the show who are all leaders in their own right. And if I can even reach one person to say, oh, you know, I went through that maybe I can find a different path. Maybe I could find a path to leadership somehow Then it was all worth it, everything that I've done here. And so in going with that theme of spark moments, you, you move from Oswego to Helena College, Holy Cross. Was there a specific moment that you remember where it clicked, where you, you made that decision to go into the seminary? Yeah. So everything, every, everything that led up to deciding what to do with college uh, was a bunch of sort of like micro moments because it was just living life and that's just the way that life was. Um, my my priest growing up, I, I had several priests growing up, Father Michael Harmon when I was first born, Father Costa Pavlakos who's now in Virginia, and then uh, Father Thomas de Ferris while I was still, um, before I had graduated, and then my father-in-law, Father uh, Jim Dukas. Um, all of them had influenced me without even me knowing it because they were just tremendous people and they were tremendous leaders in and of themselves. Father Michael Harmon was being honored in Detroit during Divine Liturgy. Um, we were getting ready for the banquet. We're just in church. I'm in the choir. I'm looking down from the choir loft at the altar and it, it literally just hit me. I had a moment and I said, I thought to myself, a revelation, I should be down there. Because I already knew, I knew what I was doing. I was helping the choir director with some of the petitions and responses. And obviously, this is a very liturgical thing. But um, it hit me. I should be down there. And I'm, a, a feeling like a warm blanket literally came over me. And I knew what I, I, knew what I wanted to do. And it was a moment of clarity. It was, it was I don't want to say like it was like, you know, during Blues Brothers when like the blue light shines down on... John Belushi and he's, you know, the band, Elwood, the band. I don't want to say like it was the blue light because I was in church and James Brown is down there preaching like, 
do you see the light? Yes, I, you know. Anyway, and God bless the United States of America. Right? That was me. That was me. It wasn't like that, but it sort of was like that. Uh, and um, but but that was ironically that was the summer before I went to Oswego. So even while I was at Oswego, I knew that I didn't necessarily belong 100. percent And um, it was uh, again from that moment on, uh, life changed completely. And then I went to seminary, and then. Um, after I think my second year, my sister came to visit me very spontaneously. She called me. I'm coming tomorrow. Our vacations are staggered, so I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna come to Boston, where our seminary is, Holy Cross Hellenic College. My sister came. Then she met now my brother-in-law, and their lives changed too. So all of these things, um, it was a very very positive domino effect that uh, w was a beautiful thing in all all of our lives and I think everybody regardless I you know I'm gonna go back 20 more seconds I promise but um, you fun. you mentioned um, how people have to be aware of these moments in their lives like if something just sparks and hits you right um, I think everybody just has to be willing to have their eyes and their heart and their soul open okay. And I'm, I'm going from a perspective of spirituality and religion as well. In, in some capacity, God is always going to talk to you. But if we don't have our eyes and our ears and our heart and our soul open to his will, then we're never going to know. And that comes with a tremendous amount of uh, obedience and faith and willingness to just hear God's voice. And um, if we're quiet enough to listen sometimes, it hits us right in the face and we can hear very clearly. Absolutely. And so it was, it was, I would say, an imperfect feeling of, of this is where, this is where I'm supposed to be. Through. It was a very, it was a very perfect feeling. It um, didn't happen perfectly, but it, the feeling that's itself what I and the reaction was perfect. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. And so you, you go through Hellenic College and now you go through the process of being ordained, not, not only as a deacon, but as a priest as well. Can you talk about that in terms of your mindset and how you felt, particularly moving on to uh, being ordained as a priest? Yeah, we were surrounded by just tremendous people. Um, all of the faculty and the staff and the teachers at Helena College, Holy Cross, our seminaries in Brookline, Massachusetts. And um, I mean, I don't have time to go through everybody. I, I wish I could. I, I, think, I think all of us have to dedicate some time to really looking back and saying, who influenced us in our lives. I mean, I've got teachers from middle school to high school and then during my college career, but um, Father Nicholas Triandafilo, uh, recently retired as the uh, president of the seminary, tremendous figure. Um, my spiritual father on campus had a great influence on me. Um, there, were, there were so many people, so many priests that I came into contact with, but leaving the school and then going to, uh, I was assigned to, to Brooklyn, and I was under Father Damaskinos Ganas, who's still the, he's still the priest in Kimisis Teotoku in Brooklyn. And um, uh, going from, you know, like a, like a simple seminarian, just a layman, into being ordained as a deacon, and then being ordained as a priest, uh, life changed for the better in, in, in a way that I never really saw coming. Um, the leadership of Father Damaskinos, he's a, he's a seasoned priest. Um, he had been in Kimisis, I think when I was there, he had already been there for like 28 years. It was, it was really tremendous. 
He'd served um, for uh, several years also as president of the seminary, and um, that was really a tremendous accomplishment. So I, I learned so much from him. Uh, I was able to observe how he did things. Um, and then being surrounded by the other priests of New York, his eminence, Archbishop Demetrius, ordained me as a deacon. Uh, his grace, Bishop Andoni, Andoni Faciani, uh, ordained me as a priest. And we're, we're still in good contact with um, all these uh, tremendous hierarchs and clergymen. And um, I wish that more people would take advantage of the, uh, the knowledge and the ability that they have. Um, e even for just sim simple tasks of like, how do you communicate with people, period? How do you um, manage conflict? What is your way of doing interpersonal communication, etc.? cetera? Um, and, and these things aren't even religious. These aren't even things that uh, affect someone as far as their own spirituality or being involved in the church. But um, uh, I, was, I was blessed. I really was to be surrounded by so many good people. Yeah, you know, uh, when you talked about being surrounded by heavy hitters, it reminded me. I know you're a movie buff. Have you ever seen Keeping the Faith? Yes. I knew you did. You remember yes. when they were kids, when they would collect the uh, the trading cards of, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> of like, Rabbi Shlomo? Oh, Rabbi, <laughs> of, uh, all these random people. Yeah. yeah, but you know what it is, though? If, you, if, you, if everyone, like, applied that sort of thing to their history and how they were growing up, um, you know, you'd be surprised how many times – you, like there's similarities with how people grew up or how they or who influenced them or things like this you know uh, the way that we the way that we you know trade baseball cards the, the way I mean no I don't think people trade baseball cards the way that they do now but um, no it's really special it's, it's, and it's an important lesson in, in uh, evaluating uh, uh, who influenced you and how you grew up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a, it's a great point that you're making. And, and I think a lot of this is so important to hear from a person like you. And, and tell me if, if you've seen this or, or how you felt before you entered the priesthood. But I don't think a lot of people understand the life of priesthood. Now, of course, every every culture is different. And, and in the Greek culture, a Greek priests can be married with children mm -hmm. and, and get to a certain point. That's not the case with every single culture. But I do think that there's a, a certain stereotype attached to to the priesthood in terms of just being this larger-than-life person that is is unapproachable. And I'll get into that a little more later, but you're a regular dude, right? Like, Try I mean, to be. Try to be. <laughs> you're a regular dude. And I, and, I, and I love that we're having this conversation because it, it – not that it humanizes you. It humanizes your, your position – in life so that, you know, people can understand that you're there as a leader to be approachable, you know, to be there for the people yeah. that, that you represent in your parish and others. So, so I love that. I think the question we're all wondering is under, under that vestment, are you wearing PJs right now? Are you wearing, uh, are you wearing sweats? <laughs> Good question. What's you going what? on? You know what? I'm actually <laughs> proud to say, can you see, can you see yes. my shirt? I knew it. I, I actually, I actually happen to be wearing my Yankees shirt. I knew it. <laughs> On one side of my wall, I have my my icons. I don't believe that icons should be, um, you know, in boxes in storage. So I, I literally say like we have to we have to hang every icon. So I, on one side of my office, I've got just a wall filled with uh, icons, and then on this side, I have my uh, degrees and I have all my Yankee stuff on this side too. Perfect. But. Um, I happen to be wearing my Yankee shirt. That's convenient. <laughs> no. We're we're actually going to get into that too. But <laughs> yeah. 
so so obviously your your gear. Well, and then I have like I have like normal pants on, by the way, too. I've got perfect. I've got yeah. normal, I'm wearing. I'm not gonna show you that. I'm wearing PJ pants under Good this. Good for so. you. No one can see anything. It's okay. Everyone's um, got their. Uh, everyone, everyone. No one dresses up anymore to do these Zoom meetings and you know Skype meetings. And everything. Um, my my favorite thing so far was that guy. I think it was, I, either Italy or Spain. His wife was a teacher. She was on a meeting, and he walked past in his underwear. <laughs> did you see that one? I did not that see that. So funny. I did not see that. But I've seen. Wall. The best part was that he crashed into a wall while he was trying to hide from everybody on on the camera. I've I died. Seen, I've seen I'm some so great much ones. I laugh at that stuff all the time. <laughs> I've seen some great ones. We were watching this morning. My wife was showing me one where I don't know if it's this new challenge, but you go up to the refrigerator and you put a, a hoodie on backwards oh and sure so i know it you're facing out but you have the hoodie over your face and then pull it down and scare the uh <laughs> my my son did that to my parish council last night i can't believe that <laughs> and you know he's only andrew's about to turn eight he's seven right now but i i couldn't believe that i said like, where did you get that and he's like from youtube i said how are you seeing these trending things before i am you know it's so funny there's a lot of these things right now but that's great you know. I, I want to talk about servant leadership for a minute. Uh, obviously, mm-hmm. you're you're geared towards towards being a helping person, and servant leadership is really the basis of of the clergy, in my mind, at least. When you set out on this path, and, and particularly when you were assigned to parish Saint Nicholas in, in West Babylon, what was your goal as a leader? Um, wow, that's a very uh, that's a hard question. Um, it's the only kind we have goal, here. Father. Goal as goal as a leader. Um, that, that's that's interesting because um, every 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 situation is so different. You know where I, where I was in Brooklyn, I was under another priest. Um, I was I was obviously learning. I was taking orders, and it was very much. Um, I mean, there was a very there was very much a hierarchy in that, but it was also teamwork. And without maybe without knowing it, because it's my personality, I guess it's just the way that I want to do things. I never wanted to be. Um, like an authoritative leader. That's what servant leadership is. Servant leadership is actually leading by example. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm a big proponent of that, obviously, but you know, just demanding things, not communicating very well, uh, asking, your, asking the people, quote, below you, which no one should be below you. They should be on the same linear plane as you, but um, asking people to do things that you wouldn't do is not that's not even in like in the equation or in the program you can't do that if you're asking for people to work together with you um, you literally have to be a team and everything has to go back and forth there has to be uh, discussion there has to be yes a little bit of debate maybe a little bit of arguing but if it's done out of respect if it's done out of love and it's done out of uh, commitment and teamwork in my opinion, that's fine. But that, that's exactly what the early church was. Jesus Christ ascended to heaven, and then the disciples and the apostles were left to just put the pieces together. And leaders, leaders came out of that, and they did have to you know, select uh, who these new leaders were going to be. But everything was done in the name of Jesus Christ and for God's glory and not our own. And that's why humility is, is really the biggest uh, factor in servant leadership. You have to be willing to put your own ego and your own agenda, if you have one, to the side so that for, for the betterment of the community, for the betterment of the church, and literally, again, for God's glory, uh, you have to work to that end. You know, I, I consider myself, for the most part, a leader that operates within servant leadership. 
because especially what I do now um, in terms of my public speaking and a lot of the charitable stuff I do, it's, it's really just about helping other people. You know, I feel mm-hmm. like when you get to a certain point in life, there's a responsibility to do that if you, if you, are, uh, if you have the means and the resources to, to help other people in whatever way. And so what led me to that is I realized after a few introspective years and, and a long, long journey that I'm, a, I'm, I'm an empath. You know, I, I can really mm-hmm. feel other people's feelings uh, when something's going on. And it, it gets very heavy for me. And I, I imagine that most servant leaders are of a similar ilk where they're very empathetic people and can feel uh, the pain of others. That being said, did it overwhelm you, especially initially, to become a spiritual leader for so many people in your parish? Um, it wasn't. It wasn't the number. It wasn't that it was so many people because it actually the number didn't matter at all. It was the fact that one person came to you, and unfortunately, their life was completely falling apart. All, all you needed was one person to show pain or to show some sort of frustration that you personally could not fix. Like you were saying, like to be empathetic to someone's situation, I take it a step further and say, I take everything personally. And that's not good either. I know that that's a weakness of mine that um, when people are having challenges, I literally say to myself, what am I doing wrong that I'm not able to fix it? Number one, that this happened Period. This should not have happened under my watch, right? And then number th- and number three, when people don't listen or people don't agree with your way of approaching things, in all seriousness, there's nothing that you can do. But you still are obviously you're empathetic to the situation. You take it personally and you try to fix it. I was never overwhelmed with the amount of people that were in the community. The more the merrier. The more that we can serve, the better. But when you're overwhelmed with the tasks at hand, dealing with, with people's situation and helping people get through things spiritually, which they have to do, unfortunately, on their own, there's only so much that we can help with. God takes care of the rest. God is the one that provides what we are lacking, right? But um, that was the only time, I, I mean, I still feel overwhelmed with some things. Coronavirus in and of itself, has um, created a lot of feelings of uh, being overwhelmed. Not being able to be face-to-face with people is very challenging. Um, the elderly community are breaking down on the phone because they're alone and they're afraid. They're not able to come to church. They're not able to light their candles. They're not able to come and pray collectively. And that now is the time where we need the church the most. And um, I, I'm having a hard time, uh, even right now, maybe conveying peace to people, conveying prayer, and conveying patience. But with God, all things are possible. As we read in the gospel a few weeks ago, excuse me, last Sunday, a few days ago, I have to keep my chronological uh, liturgical calendar in my head, but um, there are times where we're overwhelmed, but God takes care of everything. So. Yeah, and I, I want to make a note about one of the things that you said. When you talk about being so emotionally invested and putting that on yourself, that's a level of empathy for sure. It's a level I think, of, I think it's too much. I think we have to be cautious. That's why I said. It's a big weakness of mine as well. Yeah, and so I, yeah. I see where you're coming from. Yeah. But it's a, it's a level of empathy 
I took an assessment a couple of months back that was so interesting. It was called an ELI that talks about your energy. And it was really telling in terms of what type of, of person you are and, and where your behavior goes the most. And that uh, what they called it a level four, which was your servant leadership, was was very heavy with me. And it was it was interesting to see how some of the even the mistakes you make in life are based in going too heavy into one of these levels as opposed to so so that empathy level that servant leadership level where you get too invested sometimes you do have to balance that a little bit balance. in order to be a, a big leader and we'll get into balance sure. all right what's next here oh oh launchpad 516 fabrizio put that good stuff on for this one yeah 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 i like this Launchpad 516, what can I say about this company? My life's work, I founded this company in 2013 and man, what a journey it has been since then. I took everything, everything that I've learned in business, in life, the mistakes, the successes, and I built this company with one mission in mind and that was to go out there and fix businesses. And damn it, we have done it. Management consulting, what does that mean? You need help with growth strategy, your company is failing, your company needs help growing, your company is doing good but just needs that little extra push, that's us. We come in, we analyze, we work with your people, and we help you figure out how to get to the next level, I promise you that. Now, what else? Marketing, sure. Media Convergence, the marketing agency within Launchpad 516. We have Fortune 500 clients and we do it all. Web design, web development, social media marketing, email marketing, SEO, pay-per-click, video and graphic production, all of it. Public relations, yeah. We are a creative marketing agency and we get your brand out there, plain and simple. Welcome to creativity is our slogan and we mean it. Now, what else? Coaching, sure. We've been coaching for years, you just didn't know it. We've been coaching CEOs, COOs, C-level executives under our consults for years, but now with the leadership experience, we're taking it to the streets and we are coaching one-on-one -on -one with individuals like you. You need help with personal growth. You need help with career growth. You need help finding your leadership and changing the world. That's that. The leadership experience will do that for you. And all of this, it's under the umbrella of Launchpad 516. So visit us at launchpad516.com, launchpad and the numbers 516.com. Check out the link in our show notes. Let's change the world together, guys. Fabrizio, great choice on the music, buddy. So I want to talk about something that was pretty big in July of 2015. Your parish which is St. Nicholas Greek Orthodox Church in West Babylon, New York. On July 21st, 2015, when you were 130 miles from home at a camp in Connecticut, you received a phone call that the church was on fire. Can you talk to me about the series of events that day and, and particularly what you were feeling? Yeah, that was definitely one of the you know top 
I, I would say easily top three like worst days of my life. Um, next to my own, next to my yaya passing away, which was a very difficult, crazy day. I was about to be ordained a priest. Um, no wait, excuse me. I was already I was already a priest. I was about to leave Brooklyn to go to Babylon, and three days before my last Sunday, my yaya passed away. So one of the first things that I did as a new priest, if you will, in a new community was actually I had to um, funeralize and bury my yaya, which was very tough. Um, but anyway, going to the fire. Um, so I was at Camp St. Paul, which is the youth camp of the direct Archdiocesan district in Litchfield, Connecticut. And uh, we had just finished dinner. It was evening. Um, and uh, we were about to have the, uh, the evening campfire. And uh, my parish council president, no, the vice president at the time, called me, the church is on fire. You just, you, you're, you're literally just punched in the gut, slapped in the face. Um, the, the emotion was confusion first, and then helplessness, right? Uh, and then followed by more confusion, and you just, you, I couldn't even make a coherent sentence. I went to Father Elias Villas, who was the director of the camp. I said, my church is on fire. I gave him a hug, and I, wa- I, started, I, I gave everybody a hug. I walked away. I said, I'm leaving. I don't know what to do. I packed up my stuff, and I had to drive two and a half hours or so uh, back from Connecticut, Connecticut, back down to Long Island. I was on the phone the entire time with different people. Thank God they were keeping me sane because I was you know, driving at night by myself, just you know, hearing different updates from the fire. The Archbishop Demetrius called me and um, was talking to me a little bit. He was good enough to actually come and see the, the church while it was still kind of smoldering. Half of the, half of the structure was, uh, was burning at that point. And um, he was in Wanta for another event. He came to see the church, thank God. But um, it, it was the the event itself was uh, was just unbelievable. Getting down to the church, seeing the damage, and then it took us about 72 hours, I would say, before we could finally calm down a little bit. Uh, we had a plan in place with the insurance. Um, Everyone was so supportive. The entire parish council, the the neighboring priests, the archbishop was just phenomenal. All the bishops, everyone was just amazing. And my biggest lesson from that was um, was just witnessing how people step up and they're they're willing to get behind you. I didn't. I don't feel like I took the reins with every with anything. I feel like I really relied heavily on our parish council. Um, s- several people knew how to work these things as far as insurance and building and construction and uh, restoration and everything like that. But we all work together. That's what I think. Like, I don't. I don't really feel like I did anything because uh, we all just work together, and everyone had their own job and everyone had their own uh, focus. And thank God we were able to overcome. And now we're in the process of building a new gymnasium and community center, a new kitchen and everything. And uh, the community has gotten behind it and everyone has been phenomenal. And I'm, I'm more inspired by this than anything else. Thank God. Thank God. When you were in it, what was your first instinct as a leader? Um, the first instinct. That's a good question. Um, besides the first emotions of, you know, again, anger and confusion and helplessness, the next thing was... Um, I'm being honest. I was I was excited. I was excited to work, 
together to find something positive out of something negative. I don't want to say like I was happy that this happened. I wasn't at all. But I was excited about what the possibilities were as a community. I was so inspired by everyone around me. Um, you know, communication, proper communication face-to-face was the biggest thing that we had to do was to just get the right people in the room at the right time and let's go because we don't have any time. Let's just get going and uh, it, it was a beautiful thing. It, w- it was really something. Uh, it wasn't Christmas time at all, but I, 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 I don't know if you've seen the movie Preacher's Wife with uh, Whitney Houston. I have, yeah. All of a sudden I started talking about hope and I started, I started quoting um, the preacher from Preacher's Wife. You know, all we have is hope and love. And, you know, let's get going. Hope is the only thing we've got. Let's go. It's an interesting feeling. And I know that other leaders out there that, that have felt this can totally understand what, what you're talking about there. It's it's awkward to say that you were excited, right? And excited people may not understand that. But I, I completely understand where you're coming from because when something happens, when it's a moment of crisis, that first instinct for me, and it, and it really – uh, melds into my next question to you about balancing your own feelings with your responsibilities as a leader. But for me, it's like it clicks where, nope, I got I have to stand up right now. I have to stand up. I have to provide a positive environment for the people that I'm leading. And I, and I have to do something that will help us to move forward. You know, we did an episode a couple of weeks ago that was literally how do we move forward in the face of coronavirus as a people, instead of just staying home and locking ourselves up and, and the world stops turning, which which is something that I want to get into with you as well. But standing up and just having that excitement of, I get to lead right now, and I think I get to help people. It's a strange feeling to have in a time like that, right? It was, You know what? It wasn't so much that I think we can do it this way, or I think this is okay, or I think I, I, I said, and I was, I was definitely inspired by everyone around me, thank God, because I was seeing small miracles left and right. We, one of the, uh, very quickly, one of the icons that survived the fire was an icon of St. Nicholas. The, the, the room where the I fire started was, um, was, everything was just engulfed in flame. Everything was gone, and it was not recognizable. It was just ash. And the only thing that was there was an icon of St. Nicholas. So I was already inspired by that because we were we were already being blessed. We were already protected amongst all this devastation and sadness and destruction and confusion. We found um, after a while just so many glimmers of hope. And again, it took about 72 hours. The shock had to wear off a little bit. But then it was just positive adrenaline and everyone, you know, boots on the ground. Everyone worked so hard and um I was inspired by that to the point where I knew we could save the church. I knew we were going to get through this, and I knew with you know great faith that we were blessed. I, I knew it. I knew that. You mentioned there with great faith. Obviously, during that time, whether it was you, whether the parish council, obviously that leadership and how we move forward, faith plays a, a huge role in that. And, and you know, we can obviously see that in you as you know, a man of the cloth and, and a man of the church. My question to you is, let's think a little broader now, okay? Let's think a little broader because we want to translate these unconventional journeys to everybody that listens to the show and to have them parallel 
this leadership to their lives and have them understand it. And the fact is that not everyone is religious, but I do believe that everyone has some sort of faith. So can you talk from a general perspective what you think faith should mean to someone that doesn't quite understand or believe in one spiritual being? Sure. I think faith should just equate to hope, first and foremost, hope in something positive. Um, if you if you don't want to, if people don't want to have a faith in God or faith in Jesus Christ or any religion at all, um, there has to be some sort of intrinsic positive entity in humanity in general. I think faith in general has to equate to something that is positive and something that means that people are just intrinsically good. And everyone should be willing to find that good in someone else, whether it's good personality, good um, work ethic, um, good characteristics of a person. And that should also mean that we should be able to give everyone the benefit of the doubt that they are just basically good. If, in a working environment, if we're having a hard time uh, with coworkers or with, um, I don't know, with customers, depending on the business, or just dealing with people that, um, I'm sorry to say, maybe they just aren't good. I, you have to find a small amount of good in every single person you encounter. I used to work and I'm not going to say that I'm not going to say the name, but I used to work for a pool company uh, selling pool chemicals and spa chemicals and different things like this. Um, it was retail, long story short. And there were so many bad people. I hate to say it like that, but there were just so many people that had a negative outlook on life. But I tried to learn even I was 16, 17 years old. I, I tried to learn that all people are good. They might have some difficulties in life, they might be impatient or they might have uh, some problems, but um, basically they are good. And I think with faith in general, just have the faith that people are positive and that people are good. You know, it's something that I've tried to describe on this show a number of times, and not only on the show, but in, in the thought leadership that I do on stage. People often look for an answer of how to get through difficult in situations. And, and I'm confident that, that this is something that you deal with on a very regular basis with people that come to you for advisement. With faith, if I can offer a bit to, to the people listening to the show, I don't know what, and I'm taking religion out of it now, I don't know what it is. A lot of people call it the secret, you know, you put something into the universe and you manifest it, you believe, you affirm that something's going to happen and so it's going to happen. Uh, and then there are people that actually, you know, have their religious faith that, that do believe that it's the will of God. And so there have been moments in my life where I've been backed up against the wall. And, and I'm talking more in recent years where I've sort of found myself um, and, and found my footing in life. And there are moments where even as a leader, you go, I don't know what the answer is. And I've learned um, that through whatever kind of faith it is that, that, that I practice, I've learned that when I'm backed up against the wall and I don't have the answer to something, I've learned to let go and just say, George, it always works out. Every time you're in this situation, it always works out. You know, whether, whether you believe that it's God that makes it worth that work out or that you're manifesting it yourself, whatever it is that you believe as an audience, I've learned to let go and just to let it happen and have that faith. And, you know, you're putting it out there and it just, it doesn't always work out. 
<laughs> you know, let me put that right. out there. It doesn't always work out. But but for me, more often than not, it does work out. And I do have a strong faith, and, and it just sort of happens. And I, I don't know how to describe it, but when you believe in something hard enough, whatever it is that you believe in, that's faith, you know? That's faith. Having faith in yourself, having faith in God, whatever it is. And so I, I, I think that plays a huge part in life as a leader. The other thing that plays a, a huge part in life as a leader is something that we talked about before, the word I mentioned, which is kinonia in Greek, which translates to a, a few things, but one is community. Kinonia is also the communion, but it translates to community. Other cultures have other words for it. There's uh, The Polynesian cultures call it your hui. That community for me is something that over the years I have learned that I cannot function, I cannot succeed without my community. And that is the biggest difference if you listen to this show and you've heard of Act 1 of George's Life versus Act 2. It is the, the structure of community, the people that I've surrounded myself with have put me in the place where I am right now. Father D, can you talk about the idea of and what it has meant to you personally? Sure. Um, because there's also the old adage that says it takes a village to raise a child. Basic concept, like what you just said, having the community, the the kinonia, the kinotita, whatever word you want. You're, you're, you're focused on the people that are physically around you, but also the ethos that that community brings and how it can shape you, Okay. When um, when you are in 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 the United States, especially, um, I, I you you have to find something that you can latch onto. I think that, and especially in our day and age, where everyone is connected with social media, even though social media is called social media, it's not social. I hate to say that, but it's not. If we're not physically able to shake hands, forget coronavirus, social distancing, one day this is going to end and we're actually going to be able to like handshake and hug again like we used to, right? And, and, I, and as, a, as a parenthetical note, I think a lot of people are missing that physical contact and they're missing that. But the, the community around you shapes you. We are all products of our own environment. Um, again, in the United States, especially being Greek Orthodox or anyone who is affiliated with a religious community, um, I would say that you should latch onto that as, hard, as best as you can because when things are at their worst, people are usually at their best, all right? So when you have something going wrong in your life, rather than keeping it to yourself, rather than staying at home, yeah, you can pray and you should pray. That Again, when faith comes in, uh, we, we do have the faith that God will take care of everything. But in the process, to rely on those around you and to go to church, to be in the community or to be in, in the, the surrounding community with neighbors or friends in fellowship, that's when you're able to be strengthened. We literally have to lean on everyone around us to be able to keep us from falling. And community does a very special thing sometimes. I hope people out there can understand the exponential growth of connection and and how truly magical it could be sometimes. I'll tell a quick story about this. I don't want to get too deep into it for, you know, because it's not really my story to tell. But Father D is the priest in my parish um, that I attend. I grew up in another parish, another part of Long Island, but now attend St. Nicholas in, in West Babylon. 
but I didn't really know Father D on a personal level. You guys have heard about some of my my other work that I do, and particularly one of the things I do is I am on the Speaker's Bureau of the Ronald McDonald House for Ronald McDonald House Charities, New York Metro. Through a colleague of mine who knew a young boy that was going through some major, major medical stuff, in conversation she mentioned that this family was having a tough time and going through some medical stuff with their son, would have to travel to another state. And it was a a real tragedy in terms of uh, the logistics as well as what was actually going on. And so I made a couple of phone calls with my people at the Ronald McDonald House, and I was able to help to get them placed at the Ronald McDonald House where they were. Sure enough, this wound up being Father D's nephew, his sister and and brother-in-law. It was a magical thing when I found this out, and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, you know, it, it's crazy how this stuff. And then I, you know, I approached you at the at the at the festival at, at St. Nicholas, and then you know we became closer, we became Facebook friends, uh, <laughs> and uh, and it's it's really amazing what community does and and the magical things that that could happen there. It's it's incredible. If if only we had, um, you you never listen. You you never know how people are going to impact your life. Everyone says, "Oh, it's a small world." It's a small world. It really is a small world. And then, um, when uh, when when you're able to help people, when you're able to actually use your skills and talents to just do something better and to do good things, it, it, it's a beautiful thing. And um, you know, obviously, my, on behalf of my my family and my brother-in-law, Father Eddie Stevie, who's the priest in St. Nicholas Flushing, my sister, and um, my nephew, their son, uh, Costantino, you know, we thank you, obviously, for all your help and everything. Because that was, um, everyone was experiencing our time at Ronald McDonald House very differently and for very different reasons. I was amazed. I just am amazed by the work that they do and um, how many people they help. We went to go see my nephew. We, we went to Philadelphia once. We went to go, we went to go see him. Um, I spent more time with other families than I did my own family. Yeah. But that was okay. That was fine. Because you know, we were able to lend an ear. We were able to support whoever we had to. Um, another joy that we've been recently trying to get more involved in um, the Long Island Ronald McDonald House is in, um, I'm blanking. It's, it's almost Queens. It's Nassau New, County. New Hyde Park. New Hyde Park. Thank you. Yeah. Um, amazing facility, tremendous people. We, we cooked a big meal for them one day and, uh, what else? We cooked Greek food for them, <laughs> which is a beautiful thing. But, um, that's what I mean. There's just so many good people around and there's so many people that are trying to help and, um, it's just a beautiful thing, and we have to, we have to do the best we can with uh, you know with all with all the gifts that God has given us. We have to take advantage of them, and we have to do the right thing again for God's glory. And always be open to growing that community. I mean, you took you took your community literally down to Philadelphia. Yeah, you know, and, we, we and tried and, <laughs> and and plopped down in the Ronald McDonald House, and and you may have affected other people there that you were having I conversations so. with. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, hope amazing. So. And we're still in contact. We're still in contact with a lot of these families. Yeah. Oh, amazing! I love that. Speaking about you know bringing your skill set to to the forefront here, I, w- I have an interesting point to make here about what's going on right now with coronavirus and and, and the quarantines and everything. So, 
as somebody who you know as a as a young priest you have set yourself up as a as an approachable person and and i appreciate as as a man as a, as a young man to be able to bring the church into the 21st century and what i mean by that is i love how deep rooted our religion is in in tradition and gives you that warm feeling you know when when you walk into church every sunday um but i do feel that it's important to be able to to translate that into modern times. And so with what's going on right now with COVID-19 and the quarantines, people are, like you said, hurting not being able to go to church. And so I think it's incredible that you have been able to bring church to them through, you know, live streaming services and, and uh, you know, being transparent on Facebook and bringing everything to them through, through you know, your digital properties. I think that's incredible. And I applaud what you've been doing with that. I know it's not you, you guys, not just you guys. It's, it's a, a lot of churches are, are doing that. It's really incredible, especially right now. We're, we're in Lent right now. You know, this yeah. is a, a very special time for us. And for those of us that, unfortunately, I, I shouldn't even say don't find the time, don't make the time to get to church as much as we should. This is the time of year that uh, it, it's always such a, a warm part of my year to be able to go every week to, to church and, and especially during Holy Week and you know, I just, I thank you for bringing that to us. So thank you. Hopefully, yeah. uh, you know, we'll see what happens for Holy Week and Pascha and Easter this year. But uh, we were given the directive from His Eminence, Archbishop of Pilafotos, to make every attempt to do live broadcasting. And I had, I had been doing live broadcasting on Facebook for a while. I'm used to it now. Um, we don't have to make any major adjustments or buy any equipment, but. Um, we have live services for Facebook and for YouTube. I'm, I'm really happy that, uh, you know, younger generations are showing the older generation how to actually get onto YouTube or get onto Facebook. And um, it, it's the least we can do. It literally is the, the least that we can do. But, you know, we're all praying together and we're all hoping that uh, people remain safe. We unfortunately have several people within our community, within our church that have tested positive with COVID-19. And Thank God everyone is, um, they appear to be recovering very well. A few are not, but uh, we're praying for everyone. That's all we can do right now. Yeah, but but like you said, being able to bring this to the older generation and not only just being able to spread the word of the church through uh, through your digital properties, but just being, again, it's it's being more approachable. You know, even when, I, when you and I became Facebook friends, you know, to pop onto Facebook and see Father D with a commentary on last week's Game of Thrones episode or or <laughs> well, last that was a popular one. Holy cow. Or or last gotta... <laughs> night's Yankee game or the movie yeah. that just came out and throwing movie quotes out. I, I love that. I mean yeah. you know, again, parishioners forget that you're you're just a regular guy. <laughs> and it's and it's important for you to be accessible and approachable, especially for the younger generation to be able to bring the church into their lives. Right. One one comment I want to make before we start wrapping up is that during your services, something that I really love, and I, and I love this about being able to bring faith to the younger generation, is you have a very special connection with the kids. I notice that when you're in service, when the Sunday school kids come in, you put the world on hold to to talk to them, you know, yeah. and and you yeah. speak to them on their level, which I right. love. Why is that important to you? Um, well, number one, I'm not, I mean, I'm not acting or anything. That's just the way I really I am. And it's, it's, it's important to be able to, um, it, it's, I think regardless of the priest, I think everyone has to approach the priest however they want. 
there's no reason to be intimidated. There's no reason to be afraid. Um, I think any person in a leadership position in general should be approachable. Um, you know, when we're when we're in church or when you know, I, I, if I'm playing volleyball with the kids or you know we, we're playing baseball during camp or something like that, we're just we're just living our life. This is just who we are. We're just we're just people. There's no reason to like you know put the priest up on a lofty pole or something like this. But um, we're all uh, the only way that I know how to communicate with the youth is to remember what I was doing when I was their age. And thank God, like I, I mentioned earlier, I had really amazing priests that were able to communicate with any child at any, I remember from every age growing up, I remember having encounters with my priest and they weren't, they weren't um, judgmental. They didn't lose their temper. They didn't laugh at our questions or anything like this. And that was something that really stuck with me. And um, you, the, the youth today or anyone for that matter, it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, 15 or 50, it doesn't matter. If the priest is not able to communicate with them and they're not able to communicate with the priest, we're at a loss. And what good are we? Jesus Christ himself, he, he literally sat and ate with every person of every uh, ethnicity, of every demographic, of every profession, and was able to communicate his word to them. So that's our responsibility as priests and as leaders to be able to have that conversation with anyone who needs it. Last point before we, we wrap everything up. I want to talk about family for a minute. You you are married. You have three beautiful children. How important how important has your family been, not to you as a, as a person, because I think we all can understand that, but as a leader, when you look at yourself before marriage and before kids versus mm -hmm. now, how important has your family been to that the growth as a leader? Yeah, my wife, I always say she broke me for the better <laughs> because... <laughs> I had, um, Same. <laughs> yeah, I mean, listen, you know, we're talking about balance earlier. We're talking about having a good harmony of how we are and who we really are. Um, you know, as much as my mother and my grandmother and my sister too formed me, um, my wife, you know, formed me into something else too. And, um, uh, when you are, when you're communicating with so many people on such a personal level, whether it's your wife or your children, um, I think it also affects your communication with others as well. And you don't want to bring home like negativity into the house or anything like that. But I think you want you have to bring the beauty of the home to the outside world as well. How am I at home? How am I communicating? And how am I working? How does that translate when I leave the home as well? And I think my kids have um, my kids have changed me a lot too. They've influenced me. I I hope as much as I'm influencing them and my wife certainly. Um, and uh, we should be able to see the blessings that God has given us. We should be able to learn the lessons that are all around us. And again, being able to open our eyes to these things, and being able to let those blessings from God from everyone else as well, changes for the better and bring us uh, to a very strengthened, balanced uh, personality. I think it's very crucial. That's a great way to wrap it up. Let's move on to the big three. The big three from the launch cast. Okay. 
the big three. We all know what it is. I'm going to name some stuff here. You're going to give me your top three quick, concise answers. Ready? I don't know how fast it is because I'm a slow thinker. But oh, let's, it doesn't let's matter. Try it doesn't it. matter. Yeah. Let's try it. <laughs> well, yeah, I get some of my friends on here that, that are long-winded and they come on here and I go quick, concise and quick, they go, okay. Quick and concise. And then it's like 10 minutes for each one. <laughs> no, 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 no. I got it. All right. Ready? Yeah. Top three Game of Thrones moments. Oh, Lord. Um... <laughs> Oh gosh, the uh, the dragon's hatch, I think is key, number one. Um, Joffrey dying, and then um, I don't want to say that one. It just came to my head, and I don't want to say it. <laughs> um, I loved I loved when when Hodor died. Oh, I, yeah. I don't want to focus on death, but it was just it was just I don't know. It was a great that moment. Show, if that show, I'm sorry, and I'm and I'm honest about this. I write about this all the time. I'm going to tell you right now. If HBO didn't do the the show, it would have been different. And I think J.R. Martin eventually, like he wasn't as happy with them. But um, you know, I, I, I I'm I'm a priest. I have to say this. I it didn't have to be like softcore porn, right? Yeah. It didn't have to be like that at of all. Course. The story is tremendous. Um, I can't wait to go back and reread the books. But those those are those were my moments. I think that the, there was a lot of power, um, and I focus a, a lot on sacrifice as well. So those were those were moments. I don't think they were the right moments. I should have said, but those were big. moments. They were great yeah. moments. And, they were and big moments. By the way, if you ever want to scare the bejesus out of my wife, sneak up yeah. behind her and just yell, "Hold the door!" really loud. Oh and lord, she'll she'll cringe and start crying. Oh man! <laughs> all right, we'll watch one. the episode. Again. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Three favorite Yankees of all time. That's a good question. Um, Mariano Rivera is my number one. Uh, Derek Jeter is my number two, and um, Paul O'Neill is my number three. Oh, that's a good one. Good yeah. era. Um, that's when I started. Uh, that's when I was growing up. I, I started growing up with the Yankees. You know, from '94 to '96, everything started to. It was awesome. It was an awesome time. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That was. Uh, oh man, that was still Buck Showalter and the and the. It was late. It was late Buck Showalter and before the, the, Joe Torre. The Tory. strike. Yeah, right. Right before when the Joe Torre. Buck yep. Showalter was. Um, and then Buck Showalter, besides Joe Torre, was my favorite manager because. Now you talk about leadership. Do we have time for this, by the way? Yeah, if you have okay, time, we real have time. fast. Buck Showalter, um, leaving the Yankees, ended up going to the Orioles. He's still was one of my favorite uh, managers. Um, Joe Torre was very sort of like calm and quiet, cool and collected, right? But, you know, when when everyone, when when Buck Showalter started to show emotion, like even I used to get scared. And I, I loved the energy and I loved the fire and I loved I loved how um, every, every manager is just so different. And it, it's just, that's, I, baseball is for me just like the perfect sport. Because even though it's a team sport, the individual still has to pull their weight. Every single individual during baseball, they have to pull their weight. And they follow the guidance of the manager. There has to be a balance of authority and humility and communication. Just beautiful. It's beautiful. Amazing if you think about because I think it was 94 was the strike. Right. Correct. Correct. And into ninety five. Into ninety five, but that was that was Showalter's last season. Correct. Correct. So I think Correct. he it just amidst the strike, it, it just all sort of fell apart. I and, think he got that. a bum rap. He, he did, but yeah. you know, then Joe Torre just became my hero. So yeah. forget that. It was it was amazing. It was Who amazing. knows what would happen if that strike never happened? Oh, amazing! Shoulda, coulda, woulda. Yeah. Less fun one. Then we'll get to, into some real, real stuff. But three favorite movies. Oh man, you can't do this to me. <laughs> Um, it's a wonderful life is my number one favorite movie. 
Um, and then um, I, I would say Ben Hur is number two. And um, number three, uh, oh, man, this is tough. My gut reaction goes to Shawshank Redemption, but then I want to say um, I want to say Apollo thirteen. But I I, I can't I can't. I, I don't know. All good ones, all good ones. Yeah, I'm gonna anyway. I'm gonna call I'm gonna shout out my kids here because I, I want to point out a memory because I'm gonna ask you about memories in a minute. It's a wonderful life. This is a, this is such an every single year for the last eleven years of my life since my kids have been in my life. This is one of my favorite memories every year. We we're in a you know divorced household, and so Christmas Eve they they spend with their mom. Christmas Day they're at my house, and so for us Santa comes Christmas night instead of Christmas Eve night. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so our <laughs> tradition is once everybody leaves our house because we host Christmas Day. Once everybody leaves, we sit down, we get in our jammies, everybody, we read um, the night before Christmas together. Sure. And then we turn the lights down, only the Christmas lights on, grab some snacks, and then we watch It's a Wonderful Life. And my kids yeah. usually fall asleep on me uh, yeah. a quarter of the way through the movie. And it's, it is my favorite my favorite Christmas feeling every single year. Yeah. That's that your manifestation of It's a Wonderful Life. Yes, absolutely. It's a beautiful thing. Next one is Memories in the Church. Now, what I mean by this is this could be during service. This could be through seminary, any, anything in particular. Your three, I don't even want to say your favorite, three that jump out at you memories within the church. Sure. So the first one, uh, the first one has to be when I was, um, when I was very young, uh, I had a vision. Um, I believe that I saw actually Jesus Christ in church. I was a very, er, I was a very young, early altar boy. Um, I had actually, I was walking down the corridor from the main foyer of the church back hallway to the back altar, and um, I saw a man walk from the priest's office into the uh, into the sacristy of the altar, wearing red robes. And uh, I said, "Oh, Father Costa's got the same color as me," because I was like, "Oh, we're gonna match altar boy robes and colors and stuff." So I saw a man in red robes, flowing, you know, bearded man, flowing robes. Um, and then I go into the altar, and Father Costa's wearing all white. So I said, "Who did I just see that was?" in red robes. You know, I don't know. I was only like 11 years old, but I immediately said, oh my gosh, I saw Jesus. Whether I did or not, I believe that I did. And that is definitely one of like the wow. top uh, moments. Um, uh, the other the other memory is actually me, like I said earlier, uh, having sort of like the, the revelation that I did want to become a priest because I was in church at that time and it, it hit me. And uh, that was in, um, that was in, um, that was in Plymouth, Michigan. That was the church in Plymouth, Michigan. And um, that was the second one. And the third one uh, would have to be my ordination when I was ordained um, a deacon. That was a big that was a big change. And then of course when I was I was married too, I was surrounded by um, you know, forty some odd priests, my friends from school, my, my wife on my left. It was beautiful. Yeah. It was beautiful. Last one. Top three places in the world, anywhere in the world. Wow. Okay. So I think home, wherever home is, that's number one. And then I would put uh, number two would be, uh, for me, uh, Jerusalem. I just got back, and it was just um, a beautiful thing. And I, I, would, I, I was just there. Jerusalem was beautiful. Constantinople and the Fanar was beautiful. 
And then number three for me is uh, Thessaloniki, Greece. Beautiful. Yeah. I want to real quick just take a moment, guys, for our spark moment of the week. I want to talk in particular about this concept of community, kinonia, that we were talking about before is the Greek word for it. I think right now during this time, it's such an important time for us to make sure that we are still staying a community, although we are apart. I, I see this line everywhere, together, uh, together apart. Um, you know, uh, we're going through a very tough time right now. We're going through a, a really unique time, unprecedented. And so how we handle this now will determine what this all looks like once everything starts getting better. You know, if, if we take this opportunity to just close ourselves off, become shut-ins in our own homes, then it's going to be a really difficult transition back to regular life. And so I feel like if we embrace our community, if we widen our circle during this time and get a little creative as to how to do that, I feel like it's going to be one of the ways that we get through this in a positive way. Right now is a is a tough time in terms of mindset. This is the week that I'm starting to see everybody starting to go a little stir crazy. People don't want to be in their homes anymore. They're getting really nervous about being in their homes. They're they're starting to get a little a little stir crazy in terms of being closed off and not having human contact, which is so so important. And so if we can make ways to do that and to embrace our community during this time, I think it's going to do wonders for us during this time. So that was that's a spark moment of the week. Father D Thank you so much for, for being here. This was incredible. Your, your leadership is, is beyond necessary, and, and I appreciate everything that you've given us today. Thank you. It's an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much. Absolutely. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Launch sequence terminated. Into the black hole. Thanks for listening to the LaunchCast today. Please make sure to subscribe to this feed wherever podcasts are available. Follow me, George Andriopoulos, at Launchpad CEO on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And make sure to visit our website, guys, thelaunchcast.com. Looking forward to the next episode. See you soon, guys.